How does art affect us? When we read poetry, or look at a painting, or listen to a piece of music, it can often feel like we experience something indescribable. In the domain of poetry in particular, it's interesting how words can convey something that feels deeply meaningful and true about the world that goes beyond the words themselves. Pelly Greitzer thinks that something like this, the romantic theory that art can express the otherwise inexpressible conditions that make everyday sense and experience possible, may be literally plausible. And further, he thinks that ideas from machine learning, the language of the autoencoder, can help us explain this effect. Pelly has written a few wonderful essays diving into this notion, and I wanted to have him on to discuss the ideas further. We spoke about poetry as a variety of mathematical experience, the autoencoder as a language to understand this, German aesthetics, and plenty more. This is the Gradient Podcast, and I am your host, Daniel Bashir. If you enjoy these episodes, you can follow us wherever you're listening to this podcast episode. You can also follow us on Substack to get regular notifications whenever we release a new article, newsletter, or podcast episode. You can also find our online magazine at thegradient.pub, where we regularly publish essays by the sorts of people I interview on the podcast. And finally, if you enjoy the episode, it would mean a great deal to us all if you'd consider leaving us a review on whatever podcast player you're using to listen to this episode. It helps more listeners like you find what we're doing and helps us bring in more interesting guests for you to listen to. But now, without further ado, Pelly Greitzer. Pelly, I kind of already told you this earlier, but I came across your work a while ago, and I I think that as I started reading your essays, I found that you had been thinking about a lot of the same things that I had been thinking about. So I guess kind of your, your traditional bio that you put out, your work borrows mathematical ideas from machine learning theory to think through ambient, ineffable phenomena like moods, vibes, cultural logics. And I was very excited to see a lot of what you're doing because I think that in the midst of some of the debates we're having in ML today about whether LLMs understand, whether they have grounding in the world, things like this, I found myself a little bit curious about there do seem to be these inexpressible phenomena, things that we experience that we can't put to words in our lives. And how does that maybe intersect with some of the ways we think about machine learning? So I've been very excited to see your work. I'd love to hear a little bit about what your background looks like and how you came to start thinking about some of these questions. Okay, so I was at Harvard studying comparative literature um, and actually got into an argument with a close philosopher of math friend of mine who had a hobbyist interest in philosophical aesthetics. Um, when she told me her kind of personal gloss um, or like minimalist take on Kantian aesthetic theory, you know, Kant has this idea of like the free play of the faculties in the work of art or in the engagement with the work of art. Um, and my friend um, 
want to say, oh, maybe we can think of the Kantian ripple of the faculty as something like the fact that like a work of art um, just like raises a lot of like questions and ideas and associations in the mind. Um, and there's a kind of like richness. Um, I think she was like suggested the term like massive suggestiveness as being this of like quality of the work of art um, that like Kant was like trying to grasp. Um, and I told my friend, you know, this this sounds right to me in some way, but I feel like there's something like missing, which is to me the work of art shouldn't just be sort of like psychologically capable of um, evoking a rich chain of like thoughts and ideas and feelings and memories. It should also, in some sense, um, kind of kind come to embody for you all of the things that evoked. You know, become a kind of like. Um, mnemonic or like encoding or distillation um, of the kind of landscape of like thought that like emerged from the massive suggestiveness. And I remember my friend giving me this very, very skeptical look, a kind of, well, nice work if you can get it kind of look that is to say, well, okay, but what could it possibly mean to say that like all of the thoughts then become like embodied or like encoded in the work of art. Um, and later that day, I was telling my roommate who was studying philosophy and cognitive science um, at MIT. He's actually a um, pretty prominent AI researcher now working on uh, empirical studies of language models, Owen Evans. So I told Owen about this argument that I had. Um, and Owen told me, oh, you know, there's actually a theory from this German computer scientist, Jürgen Schmidhuber, um, that says it like, um, the human sense of like beauty has to do with the algorithmic compressibility of the object that we're cognizing or perceiving. Um, and I you know, found this immensely exciting and not like purely out of spite. Um, you know, this idea is like, oh, there can be perhaps a kind of like, you know, um, translation into a computational or information theoretic language of this intuitive idea that's very important to me that the work of art doesn't just bring many things to mind, but also brings those things together into some kind of integral whole that could be held the mind at once. Um, so I got very excited by this, and I kind of started teaching myself math and computer science so I could, I don't know, at least like pursue this as like a hobby project. I had some like logic background, had some like relatively serious analytic philosophy background, but like no math background to speak of. I had to sort of like do high school level stuff in Khan Academy, um, then sort of like take myself to like an undergrad curriculum. Um, it became a kind of like all-consuming hobbyist project to the point where I was setting my normal PhD studies, which were about early avant-garde literature in the 19th century aside. Um, so um, the... Crucial turning point in the story, I suppose, is that one summer I was visiting um, back home in Israel, where I'm from, and I was invited to this event where like people from like a loose group of friends come and like talk about some like hobby intellectual project of theirs. So I gave this like talk about um, my ideas, like building like Schmidhuber's. Um, compression theory of like aesthetics. My idea was that oh, maybe the work of art isn't just something that's compressible, but the work of art is something that is compressive of the world. It is to say the work of art um, 
know, it's not just the part of the work of art um, can be reduced to some compact algorithmic like process in the mind, but rather the works of art reveals to you um, ways in which like many things in the world that you've like encountered but didn't know could be compressed or held together or integrated can be integrated. Uh, the, this like hobby's like talk went relatively well. I saw that like, one guy who I didn't know in the audience was like very excited by it. Um, and then this guy approached me and was like, oh, you know, I'm actually a mathematician and I think that this project is something that you should pursue like seriously and not just as like a hobby. Um, and then like I asked like around and people like told me, oh, this guy, um, Thomas Schlank, who's now like, doing really, really major work. Um, you know, people are saying like, oh, this guy is like, he's like the best like young mathematician in Israel. If he's saying that your like project is like something you should be doing seriously, that means a lot. So I kind of like took it like to heart and I started like working with him um, on, um, yeah, trying to develop um, this um, idea of um reconstructing various like classical ideas in like aesthetic theory and aesthetic philosophy that have to do with the idea of the work of art revealing um, structural integrities in the world. So yeah, we set together part of like how to um, reconstruct these classical ideas in a sort of like, you know, formal or like mathematical or potentially computational key. Um, and relatively quickly, Deep learning, which was then in its kind of very early days of like, you know, the the streak of successes it's going to today. So we're talking about something like 2012, 2013. Um, Autoencoders were still, um, you know, crucial for like pre-training. So as suddenly started learning about deep learning, started learning about like autoencoders and how before you can do like labeling, you need to do this. Um, you know, effectively sort of like structural da data mining of like finding the like intrinsic structural like integrities like in the data set. Nowadays, of course, you don't have to do this in order to do supervised learning. Um, but you still might want to do it for like other reasons. Yeah. So the work you're doing that you have been doing for a while, there are so many different directions that I'd love to take this. and. I think we'll get into some of these ideas later. I do want to make sure we kind of go along our preliminaries of, of discussing a little bit about art and how autoencoders can be a useful structure for us to think about some of what you're talking about here. But some thoughts that immediately come to mind as you're speaking are, for me, one, there's this really great talk by Sally Rooney that I read in the Paris Review recently called Misreading Ulysses. I think there's a lot there to perhaps begin to cognize some of what you're saying. So what she describes about a misreading of Ulysses is that each reader, sort of using your language a bit, comes to the work with their own orientation. And Ulysses has managed to package so many different possible worlds for its readers. These structures that sort of implicate and deal with Irish nationalism and with perhaps the father-son relationship, but also for Sally Rooney, somebody who studies the novel and its history, this really deep aspect of just the novelistic form as something that complicates and deals with very complicated gender relationships. 
in the early history of the construction of the novel. But beyond that, also on her picture, I do see this kind of orientation aspect of like, there's an orientation almost that belongs kind of in the subject that is experiencing the novel as an object. And there are a lot of very interesting metaphysical rabbit holes to get into here, especially when we start discussing some of the different variants of idealism and how those map onto, well, we had this whole Kantian idea that the subject has these categories, but then there is supposed to be something else that provides the actual content of experience. But some of the later idealists started to disagree with that. We need to worry about this whole subject-object distinction. So there are like many different directions to go here, I feel. But I do think it probably is a good idea for us to begin with making some of the case for all of this. So where I'd love to start is a little bit about art. And my first question here is pretty simple. What is art? How do you think about it? And why do we care about it? Right. So um, I think one fun way to like introduce the idea of like artists I think about is by thinking about what um, fiction and poetry and painting or sculpture on the one hand and music on the other hand have like in common. Think about like why do we think of these them as like a unifying a unified like um phenomenon and um so you know if you start thinking about um painting or like fiction as a prototype of art then you're gonna define art as something like imitative representation um also known as mimesis so on a kind of soft like you know fiction or painting centered view of what art is we would say something like Art is the presentation of a physical or imaginative object, you know, like a painting or a sculpture or a fictional world or a fictional event um, that the artist constructs by imitating nature or by imitating the logic through which, you know, things um, become constructed, like in nature. Um, And, you know, we would also say uh, um, on this paradigm of what art is typically that the constructed reality um, made by the artist will hof- often have an at least implicitly representational function. This is to say the artist is often trying to show something about actual reality through this um, imitative, constructed, um, you know, facsimile reality that the artist like made. So, you know, this is like one classic way of thinking about what art is. Art is imitative representation. It is like a making inspired by sort of like, you know, the principles of making that we see in play in nature. And this making brings about, um, you know, an either an imaginary um, or like materially embodied, you know, replica or facsimile of like a world. And we take this like replica or facsimile of a world to have some kind of analogous bearing on like the real world. Um, You know, it's like, something is supposed to be projected from what we will sort of like see or find in this imitatively constructed world um, onto like the real world that inspired it. Um, now, if you want to think instead about music as a prototype of art, you're going to go with something a little different. You're going to say something like, well, art is the making of harmonious structures or of like um, structures felt in experience. This is to say, you know, we experience the elements or motifs arranged in a work of art um, as possessing a kind of unity or belonging together 
that goes beyond the kind of unity or structure we can easily verbally describe. Um, though, of course, Western music theory, for example, uh, um, has been pretty successful at describing certain aspects of the structures that you feel in music, um, you know, mathematically. So I'm not saying, you know, that the sort of like structures or, or sort of like, you know, harmonies or like unities to be experienced in a work of art are necessarily um, indescribable. And that's like the last word on it, just that they're like, you know, these are structures that do not immediately or naturally lend themselves to sort of like simple verbal articulation using kind of like everyday vocabulary. Um, so from this sort of like, you know, um, music-centered way of talking about what art is, we said it's like art is a construction that involves felt structure or a construction that evokes felt structure. And by felt structure, I mean the experience of having a kind of like fluency with or intuitive grasp of a hard to articulate unifying logic of, for example, the sounds in a symphony or the places and people and events in a novel or the images and ideas in a poem. Um, so now if you kind of like want to put these two um, prototypical perspective about, you know, what art is together, you know, the kind of like fiction centered one where art is um, an imitative construction that represents something um, about the world or the nature that is constructed by imitating and the music centered um, view that wants to say that a work of art is something that has an intuitively graspable like felt structure that is difficult to articulate, um, then we might say, putting these two things together, that the work of art is an, imitative is an imitative representation of the world that gives you a sense of some hard to articulate unifying logic in the actual world. Um, you know, I think many of us, um, or at least um, certainly many people in the last 200 years since like the emergence of like romantic thought about like art, um, have this idea or this notion that art lets you grasp some hard to articulate structures um, in reality or in experience. Um, you know, the question comes up, well, what kind of structures? It doesn't seem like, for example, art is super amazing for grasping stuff about the purely inhuman world. It doesn't, we don't always think it's like art gives us like, you know, some kind of ineffable fluency with structures like in physics or structures like in chemistry. Um, but, you know, the thing I think many people like feel is that there are like structures somewhere at the intersection of mind, language, and nature that art is really good at grasping. Um, and I think I want to hold on until later on before trying to sort of like say, what is this like intersection um, between mind language and like nature um, that I think we tend to believe um, art is well attuned to structures in. Um, so, you know, this kind of like story about like art, um, the story where like art is imitative representation that articulates intuitively graspable, but ineffable, or at least very difficult to articulate um, conceptually structures. Um, that's a story that art has been telling about itself for the last 250 years or so. 
you can find traces of this way of thinking about art in like ancient Greek, Chinese, and Indian philosophy. Um, but there is a kind of critical moment, first of all, in Western philosophy around 400 years ago, when Western philosophy started developing pretty stringent ideas about what conceptual understanding is. By conceptual understanding, I mean understanding it's like explicit, rules-driven, decomposable, and effable. And out of this more sort of like, you know, stringent delineation of what makes for like proper conceptual, um, you know, sort of like traditionally philosophical or like reason-based understanding, um, starting to emerge this like idea of art as the medium when we work with a different kind of understanding, the medium where we work with ineffable or intuitive forms of grasping, and maybe even the medium where we deal with structures in the world that are by their very nature hard or even impossible to grasp conceptually. Um, you know, so this like moment is something that like fully articulated itself in, you know, um, at the time of what we call like the romantic like revolution, which is of like you know the end of the 18th century, the beginning of the 19th, and this is where sort of like the idea of art as being uh, um, an imitative representations that um, articulates to the intuition fundamental structures uh, at the meeting point of mind, language, and world uh, that could not be articulated by conceptual means. Uh, really took off and really made itself a kind of sort of like official ideology of art. And this is like an official ideology of art that um, many have become suspicious of, I would say, from the mid 20th century on, on the grounds that it just sounds like a little bit woo. But my contention sort of with my work is that like, you know, it's much more woo if you have a kind of sort of like, you know, early 20th century style conception of what the world according to science is like or what like you know um what kind of thing thinking is um according to science or like according to um logic as formulated but in like the era of like Frege and like russell and so forth um and that if you have a sort of like more um you know, and like machine learning, like inspired um, sense of like what thinking and grasping and understanding is, and even of, um, you know, maybe of like what structure and pattern is. Um, and if you have a more sort of like, you know, uh, maybe complex systems, like complex system science inspired um, conception of what, um, you know, nature is, um, and, you know, and how come is it that, like, you know, that, like, in nature, beyond just, like, you know, fundamental particles or beyond just, like, you know, like, the wave function, um, there are all these, you know, softer kind of, like, unities and, like, that, in fact, like, everyday objects, like, you know, yeah, cabbages and kings, cats and hats and mats um, are themselves, like, um, you know, any, like, fully hard lines of, like, physics point of view fairly soft, woolly, fluid kinds of like coherences, um, then the the kind of story that art has been telling about itself is actually potentially quite like a plausible and compelling story. Um, so 
you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is that like there's this like idea of like art as the medium in which um, soft structures that are um, amenable to intuitive and felt fluency, much more so than to explicit conceptual representation, um, show themselves. And this idea, um, the stock of this idea like, took like a real fall in like the mid 20th century, I think because of a kind of sort of like, almost like pre-computational or maybe I should say more like, you know, pre-machine learning um, sort of like picture of what the sober scientific like world of the view is, sorry, what is picture of what a sober scientific view of the world is. Um, and I think this is in many ways out of date and the kind of sort of like, you know, new worlds that are like emerging for what a sober scientific of the world should be like are actually quite accommodating and inviting for this way of thinking about like um about soft structure and about like aesthetic and artistic representation and about like you know intuitive hard to articulate forms of grasping and of how all of these um interact and even of what this might have to do with our like ability to like navigate and handle the world in quite concrete mundane terms this is to say i think there's even like um, a plausible like, case to be made that there's like a deep connection between um, the kind of intuitive fluency with like strange ambient structures that we get from like art and things like our like capacity to um, grasp the world in concrete conceptual like terms in a kind of soft like dynamic and adaptive way uh, as needed you know, making concepts like on the fly and generally just like being able to like find or like way about um, the kind of like human ecological niche that we exist in. I, I do love that articulation. And I think you kind of covered a lot of the questions or pretty much everything that I was wondering about your perspectives on art here. For me, I guess, at least in a lot of my studies, one case that I find myself very familiarized with that I think you were kind of gesturing towards as far as a case for art aesthetics as a way of knowing the world kind of routes through the whole German idealist tradition. And I often think a lot about Holderin, one of the pretty early post-Kantians who I think sort of anticipated a lot of the, the romantics that you were speaking about. And Holderin was like quite literal about this in art's capacity, or really art as possessing like the soul capacity to reveal the the nature of reality and the idea that once you try to take something like an aesthetic truth, something about the world, and you express it in language, it immediately loses its its truthiness, its fidelity to the world. But a lot of what you're speaking about here is, well, not just music as maybe a, a non-discursive way, Although perhaps, you know, theorizing it, you could imagine or think about that as making something cognizable, discursive in a sense. But we do boil down a lot of the world into certain sorts of structures. We boil them down into poetry, into novels. These things have words in them. And so there is a kind of discursivity going on there. But what you're also gesturing to is, in addition to the words on the page, 
when I when I read Joyce, when I read Proust, I experience something that kind of goes a little bit beyond that. I sort of experience this this orientation almost and something that is kind of a, a deeper truth about the world. There's a lot going on there. That was just kind of the roots of a few thoughts. I don't know if you have anything to, to say to those. I think I do because like, I guess one thing I want to think about is that like, you know, uh, my relationship to the stuff like, you know, like late German idealist sort of like, you know, like, um, like absolute like idealism, like Holder Laney um, discourse, I think like kind of complex because my grounding is more in Kant's like thinking and especially the sort of like the Kant of like the third critique. But I think there is like, I think there's something like useful like to be said here, which is that um, to me, like a fundamental like Kantian idea. And again, this is like not necessarily, you know, um, the kind of like classic core Kantian like ideas that we'd be talking about. This is more stuff from like the third critiques where he talks about like, you know, famously both like um, art and biology. And there's often the question of like, well, why, why is like, why do like art and like biology um, like show up together, um, which is that like you know, there's a kind of move like saying that like um, the possibility of more concrete or immediate terms um, can in fact sort of like be dependent on on or have its like source in. Uh, um, much more sort of like abstract or like global principles or like structures that you know may not be amenable um, to um, sort of like such a kind of like propositional or concrete or like conceptual or conceptual like delineation, um, and I think you know. One, and this is like an idea that actually I think also like, you know, has become like very important for like Hegel um, and for like subsequent um, sort of like, you know, German like idealist slash romantic thinker, you know, again, the idea that's of like that even though, and now let's start like using some like machine learning terminology really, um, you know, even though, you know, you already have, you know, the input space, Right, and and you have like some extreme like of like data and like you know um each sort of like um data point is sort of like you know structured in terms of like the dimension of like the input space, um the um the structures that you might find yourself articulating. Uh, um, through like you know any kind of stuff like unsupervised learning stuff like you know um, you know data mining style um, latent space construction procedure um, you know I'm particularly interested in like in autoencoders but like GANs are also like relevant here um, you know GPT style models are also relevant here although the kind of stuff like you know latent spaces that they build are sort of like you know less they less explicitly have like the function of like a latent space they're not they weren't like designed for you to be able to do like latent space like arithmetic on them but you like sometimes like can do latent space like arithmetic on them like anyway 
Um, so the point is, you know, like in machine learning, we know that at least in sort of like the kind of like um, idealized story about like unsupervised learning, um, you get all these like concrete like inputs um, and they're sort of like arranged like a certain way into like certain like primitive like units given by the structure of the input space, you know, in the most canonical case, you know, pixels. Um, but as you go through, um, you know, either like process of like through ballistic, like generative modeling, um, or, you know, next word prediction or like bird style, like, you know, next and previous like word, word like prediction, um, or again, like my favorite, um, an autoencoding process where you're like, um, compressing through like a bottleneck and then you're trying to like decompress and get like you know a close approximation like in pixel space of the original like input um we think that the latent space is going to build some kind of encoding of the input data um often a lower dimensional one sometimes depending on the architecture not a literary not a literally lower dimensional one, um, but often one that we think um, is implicitly lower dimensional, although these issues get complicated. Then anyway, we often think that like, you know, basically it's like the latent space um, contains something that's like closer or sort of like approximates or points towards the underlying generative process, um, you know, behind the data in the data stream. No, there's this like, and of course, you know, this doesn't like straight up like work perfectly. And that's why people are saying like, oh, we need to add like, you know, things like explicit like to the Pearl stuff, causal modeling and so forth. But like at the level of like the basic trope, you know, we have all these like powerful like proof of, like, proof of concepts of like, look, I trained like an autoencoder on millions of like images of like faces given as pixels and in the um, images of like faces, you know, um, sometimes the face is like smiling, sometimes it's frowning, sometimes it's looking up, sometimes it's looking like down. Um, and then you like, you know, you train like the autoencoder and you see that like the autoencoder, if you look at the, you know, at the bottleneck layer, see that in fact, it kind of like learned like a space of like, you know, possible ways for like faces to be. And in this space, there's like a direction that corresponds to, you know, is the face like frowning or is the face um, smiling? And there's like a direction that corresponds to is the face like, you know, tilted up or is the face tilted down? You know, there might be another like space that corresponds to like, you know, is the face like older or young? Another like direction corresponds to, I don't know, does the face have like a prominent forehead or like a non-prominent like forehead? Um, you know, so there's this phenomenon where it seems like we're getting some kind of um, much more abstract in some sense like ambient like models of like, the space of like possible like faces um but you know we'd often think of this as being something that's at least like in the direction of being a model of like what faces are and how like faces become the faces uh, that they become uh, and uh, you know what are the sort of like i don't know, like biological like morphology um you know possibilities for like human faces uh, that like evolve through sort of like you know whatever like 
um, developmental and evolutionary natural selectionally constraints shaped our like um, DNA and our like and our like gene expression like mechanisms. Um, so you know, there's like the idea that by moving from the sort of like immediate sort of like unit of concreteness that is given to you, um, you build a space of possibility and the space of like possibility can somehow like, you know, begin to articulate the real sort of like forces structuring um, the concrete inputs that you're getting. Um, and, you know, in the case of like faces, we quite naturally say that this also somehow like, you know, like articulate, allows you to like articulate the meaning of the concrete like inputs. Um, yeah, right now just to talk no longer in terms of like, oh, here's like one like blotch of pixels. Here's like another like blotch of like pixels. Suddenly, if you look at the representations in the bottleneck encoding layer, you can see, okay, like according to like the encoding layer, then like, you know, this like bot of pixels is something that relates to the other bot of pixels in um, being, you know, more smiley, less frowny, you know, more downward tilting, younger, um, and less prominent forehead. And the idea is like that maybe this space of sort of like possibilities for articulatable, um, I'm sorry, using the word articulable can be, can be tricky because uh, here I'm just talking about the, like the articulation, like in terms of the encoding like layer, and of course here I'm giving an example where like it, where the encoding layer does like um, correspond to sort of like um, respects of similarity and differences. We do know how to like you know also ourselves articulate verbally, but I want to say well this isn't always going to be the case. Um, but to sort of like you know give the like illustration pedagogical example, they want to say you know yeah you have like all these like faces you learn a kind of space of possibility that is sometimes also corresponds to sort of like the vibe of what like a face like even is or like what like um at least in the context of like this like particular collection of like faces uh, if that's all you know faces and like what like a face like even is uh, but like articulating this like space possibilities also give us sort of like um the kind of like basics of like relations of similarity and difference that we can then like maybe like you start to use like you know build concepts of like particular faces or particular like types of like faces or like particular like face like positions um so um so this is like you know kind of like example that totally maps to our like you know um non-german idealist like normal ideas of how um you know a level of abstraction that's of like quite like global and like ambient can be the one that provides the meaning to data that's given to us um you know at like um, a much lower like level of like abstraction it's like and uh, a much more sort of like immediate like level of concreteness and And so I want to see, like, you know, like one way to think about sort of like, you know, this like one strand within sort of like German idealist like thinking uh, is uh, that 
you can kind of like keep iterating that, that there's like a way of thinking um, about um, everyday phenomena encountered like in human life where like, you know, they um, play like the role of sort of like the pixels um, and by sort of like learning to sort of like, you know, compress or decompress them um, in the right way, we're going to find um, the kind of like space of like possibilities that sort of like, you know, um, sort of like secretly puppeteers the objects of like the everyday world, or at least the objects of the everyday world, again, as much as their boundaries, like our capacities for experience and uh, with sort of like the conditions of specifically like humans of like ecological niches, because we're not climbing towards sort of like, you know, physics here, right? We're climbing towards um, a different, a, like a different kind of sort of like um, global abstraction that give us like, you know, the fundamental forces governing like everyday life. Uh, we're not trying to find sort of like the computations behind like nature purely as nature. We're supposedly trying to find uh, the kind of like mental uh, language for the dynamics of the world of human life and of human experience and of like human like objects. Um, and uh, supposedly it's, you know, it's from discoveries at the level of those spaces of possibilities or sort of like yeah structuring directions of like similarities and difference between concrete data in the data stream that we get the kind of fundamental stabilizing orientation toward like you know some world of experience that let us then start building kind of like um intermediate concrete like concepts um you know so it's like you know maybe we start with like maybe one thing about someone who starts is only like you know the concept of like um i don't know people people like persons and like objects then the question of like okay how do you come how does the does the concept of like a city and like parts of like a city and like um and like economic and like social like um sort of like channels of like movement of like you know goods and like people and like information like within like a city emerge um there's this idea that sort of like well all of this is like made like possible by first grasping some kind of like more um ambient like space of sort of like sort of like city spirit or just like like the space of like possibilities of shapes that things can like have and ways that things can compare and relate to like each other um you know in uh, the kind of environment that we would like later like name like a city um name to be a city and then once we have this sort of like framework and the kind of like ways of like attuning to structure and like pattern that it gives us um we start like building all kind of like intermediary um concepts
bots um, that we then like use like in everyday life to sort of like you know um, navigate like life like in a city using conceptual like reason and like deliberative like rationality um, and discourse and so forth. So it's sort of like I guess like a movement where it's like you know there's some um, level of concreteness at which like input is like given. Um, this level of like concreteness is insufficient for sort of like giving us um, even sort of like concrete, more complex or sort of like higher order concepts that would allow us to sort of like um, navigate at like a higher level of sophistication, right? Like we don't yet have like, you know, the kind of content that you need to like live in like a city. Um, and this and this idea of like, you know, in order to like get to those concepts, you have to first of like make the movement from the sort of like the raw like inputs of like life like in a city to this kind of like um, ambient, ineffable um, city space of possibilities, or the sort of like you know kind of sort of like yes, spirit of like spirit of cityness, and what it means about like the forces of like structuring the things that you're experiencing like in the city and then on this like you know very high up very like ambient very abstract foundations we can sort of like build concrete useful like mid-level concepts for like navigating life in the city um conceptually um so so i think of that as being in a way the at least the key move of it is like a certain strand of thinking in German um, idealist like thought, which is that like um, first comes uh, um, a manifold of sensation, what we just call like a data stream of like input at like a very like low level of like abstraction. Then there is sort of like fundamental operation. Um, of what like German philosophers call like you know synthesizing the manifold, which is sort of like you know figuring like a way to create the sort of like the what do you call it yeah like the unity in a manifold or the like you know or the like the one in many or the like the diversity in unity, which is like understanding how like something that has like parts can nevertheless be a thing. Um, but they for German this like this like operation has to be done sort of like globally you have to be sort of like defining this sort of like space that sort of like gives you the um the kind of like the most like global directions that define um similarity and like difference in the data stream at like, you know, in sort of like, you know, the true space of similarity and difference, right? Not just like the one like between like pixels, but between like the struct, but the one like within like structures that like determine like what like pixels you're getting in the data stream. Um, and only and only from there, from this like fundamental act of like, um, learning how to synthesize the manifold and how to sort of like create unity in diversity, 
you can start doing the ordinary conceptual like work of like describing like the relevant sort of like new everyday concept that will be um, useful in like everyday reasoning or even in scientific reasoning. Um, and then sort of like the sort of like Calderlinian idea that like that there is something there that cannot itself be done conceptually is that this sort of like, you know, this move that is sort of like the mother of like the the concept or at least like the mother of the concept at the new level of abstraction um, that you're moving to, um, you know, cannot itself be conceptually articulated or at least not like cannot be articulated using like any of the concepts that it then like helps like form because like what it is, it's sort of like it's, it's really a grasp of the sort of like, you know, of like the mission plus that makes concepts, um, you know, the relevant kind in the relevant like domain like possible. It's sort of like, it's, it's like a backstage view of like the workshop <laughs> where concepts are then going to be like be made. And what you're grasping is sort of like the, the fundamental way in which like the terrain of the raw data is friendly to the formation of concepts you know it's sort of like um so in this view like um the the insight that you get the insight that you can only get from like art is sort of like the grasp of the hospitability of a certain data stream to the formation of interrelated concepts of sort of like a certain like conceptual like family and it's sort of like and it's both of like the relationship between like the concepts in a certain conceptual family that makes them of like a family um and the kind of like the quality of like fit between this family of concepts and the like role like data stream that makes them applicable um that is the thing that um i think um, well, Kant and then uh, I think yeah, Halderlin and also like in England, like Shelley would say uh, um, can't be grasped um, conceptually because it is sort of like, you know, yeah, the matter of like concepts. And uh, and then it's sort of like, yeah, this like extra claim, which is the proper way to grasp it or to communicate it or to reflect on it is through the construction of a work of art um and here i think that like machine learning theory can give us a like pretty interesting hint about why that could be the case about why specifically the act of self like um as i described earlier the construction of like imitative representations that are sort of like supercharged with harmony um could be key to um at least you know um the reflection on or the expression of or the communication of this um fundamental synthesis of like the manifold that then like um makes possible the, the ordinary conceptual like, you know that then makes possible like the workshop in which ordinary concepts get made um so maybe that could be uh the next thing to talk about why uh, you know 
why is art the you know the the thing for the job of um, articulating or expressing or like reflecting on this sort of like you know flight to the um flight from the extremely concrete to the extreme ambient that later makes like possible the sort of like moderately concrete um, of ordinary concepts. Yeah. This is definitely, I think, a good place to to start pivoting towards that. And you began kind of hinting at how machine learning ideas start to play here. And specifically, of course, in your work, you use the language of the autoencoder to articulate how some of this works. So I think it would be great, um, perhaps next, we kind of describe some of the ways in which art really serves as something that can allow us to have some kind of access to knowledge about something that can't necessarily be conceptually articulated. And you were gesturing at this mechanism where initially we had these raw sense data and we can start to kind of make sense of of things at different levels of abstraction. So yeah, I guess I'd love for you to introduce how this all begins to work, how art begins to work on these things. And perhaps we can explicitly here also introduce the language of the autoencoder and articulating that phenomenon. Okay, so I guess like autoencoder, you know, to like quickly review for like people who might sort of like only have like a passing memory of like what it is. Um, in a way, it's, you know, sort of like the most like classical like textbook um example of representation like learning um slash of like unsupervised learning um and you know nowadays the, like the applications of like autoencoders are like a little like wonky like you know they they're used like a lot but they're used for like some somewhat like esoteric things which is because an autoencoder is a little bit of like it does everything which also means it doesn't do like anything you know super efficiently or super well from a sort of like you know um either like applied point of view or sort of like you know benchmark breaking point of view um because an autoencoder it's like it's an algorithm that's well it's a representation learning algorithm it's a compression like algorithm it's a density estimation algorithm it's an anomaly detection like algorithm um and it's um uh sort of like you know um prepping a data set for like vector arithmetic manipulation algorithm um and the way that it like works is that um at least you know the classic vanilla autoencoder um which i think is sometimes ultimately like all you need like often it turns out you can like do like quite nice things like in the vanilla um button like autoencoder if you just sort of like take care with like the hyperparameters don't think you always like need like you know like the variational regularization to to like get nice things um is another encoder um it has um some it's like a training set um it has a layer in like the middle of like the neural network um that's you know that's very small that contains like you know um, very few nodes usually it'll be like in the order of sort of like between like five uh, nodes and like like a thousand nodes would be like the extreme case often you're looking at something at the order of like 100 150 node 
and you often will be dealing with like inputs, uh, which are like at the order of sort of like um, ten thousand or like a hundred thousand of like pixels if you're dealing with like images, um, or you know, it also be working with again like relatively high resolution like audio files or like um, very detailed like very detailed like tabular data. Um, and the purpose of like the autoencoder, or rather like you know the the cost function to be given like during training, is to just like you know try to approximate the identity function. What the autoencoder to like um, output exactly what we give it like as input. Um, it cannot because um, the um, the bottleneck like layer um, in effect like you know. Also, because we're not like actually, there's a slight like annoying technicality here, which is like you know like oh like real numbers can can encode like an infinite amount of like data. So even if like you know um, you only have like five like nodes in the bottleneck layer, could theoretically still encode like an infinite amount of data. But like in practice, you know, um, a we're like we're like working with like you know discretized representations of like real numbers because we're like using computers. Um, and be the kind of sort of like um, actual computational work that you'd have to do to like use the potential to like encode wild amounts of like data um, in the bottleneck layer, like independent of like how many nodes it have would be like insane. So in effect, the number of like nodes in the bottleneck layer, like um, in a fairly strong sense, they constrain how much information the autoencoder can like pass from the input like to the output. Um, so because it cannot like you know literally reproduce the input as the output, um, we give it um, traditionally just like um, a Euclidean pixel like distance cost function. And we tell it like, okay, you know, what you need to do is to produce the thing, uh, um, the output that's like as close in pixel space as possible to the input um, and the kind of like, you know, one of the big discovery, big exciting discoveries of like early like deep learning, again, like circa 2012 was that um, this process um, leads to the formation of something like a proto-conceptual mapping of what you might call this sort of like the systemic gestalt or the sort of like structural grammar of the domain that you're like drawing the inputs like from. Um, this is one reason why like autoencoders don't always like work like amazing on sort of like stuff like ImageNet where like domain is just like literally like everything. Autoencoders like really shine, um, you know, where like what you use uh, as like the domain from which you draw like the training and distribution is you know yeah is something with like a little more of sort of just like you know a thisness like to it like you know you want to use like you know exclusively like ancient green vases or like you want to use like you know um like and had like great success in like molecule like design where it's like oh like you want to use just like you know tabular like or like graph or tabular descriptions of like the properties of like molecule of like molecules that are like used in like drug design and to like you know learn the space and to, like learn like a space of like useful like molecules um and also maybe learn stuff like yeah interesting like the compositions of like these like molecules into sort of like relevant like structural properties one of the um classical examples of like success 
Um, again, I think from like the relatively like early days uh, has been the discovery that when you train an autoencoder on a huge amount of like audio, like speech, like data, um, it, um, it the latent space, the latent space, like coordinates it learns. I just say like you know they're like proto conceptual representations in the bottleneck layer. Um, so of like reproduce several, you know, like reproduce like one of the canonical ways that like um, linguist working phonology um, have like traditionally like mapped out like the space of like you know possible like phonological productions in like the mouth and like throat and like nose and they're like and they're like relation like to one another. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, so we've had like you know in again sort of like cases where. Um, you know, the the underlying structure of like a domain is one that we feel like we have a good conceptual grasp of. We've had very sort of like years of very like niche of like proof of concept um, demonstrations that the structure of like possibility or the space of possibility learning latent space um, maps to our sort of like, uh, you know, best scientific like practices for how to think about like the underlying structure of like the domain. You know, like here, for example, like, you know, the domain of like phonological sound production, like in the human mouth. Um, so, um, so, and originally the purpose of like an autoencoder, this was like, you know, back in the soft, like, oh, you need to do unsupervised pre-training before you can do classification days. Um, you know, the last days of like 2012, the idea was that like, well, you'll be, you're going to use like the autoencoder to get sort of like, um, yeah, kind of like meaningful representation space, like to start with such that you can then uh, do like supervised learning, like on top of it with labels and like do it like much more like efficiently than if you're like um, running your like whole neural network, just like starting from uh, um, raw pixels. Um, well, this has always worked, you know, kind of well and still works kind of well. We now have just like, you know, incredibly like well, like hyper, like optimized, like specific, like tricks for like different like domains, you know, with like contrastive, like learning and with like autoregressive and like predictive, like models. Um, so nowadays, like autoencoders are no longer like hugely used for like, you know, for like um, pre-training before classification. Um, instead, like the main use cases are like a um, literally for sort of like um, reducing um, the input space for um, downstream like algorithms that are like very very computationally expensive, um, such that like if they had to like work with like large like inputs, um, you know, the computational load would just like you know yeah quickly just like explode is like on the amount of like input like scale um you know so for example you know like stable diffusion um which is the you know you can try it at home like version um of like dali and like mid journey um it uses like you know heavy duty like auto it uses like yeah like heavy duty like autoencoder like layer um um, so that then like the diffusion like models could like you know run uh, um, on a latent space on like in a space that like could be like 
handled like at all. Um, so this is like you know the benefit of literally like making like this space like smaller and more computationally manageable. This is also actually used also in like state of like the art things. Um, like you know there's like the Google like uh, Google had like the party um, image like model which was like you know a super high performance um, pure autoregressive like image like model again like insane if you're like gonna be like running it um, on like row. Um, high resolution, like images pixel by pixel. So, like instead, use like the autoencoder um, to get these like um, compact, like patch-wise representations of like the image, and then you do the autoregression in the space of like in the latent space of the autoencoder, um, and then you know decode. Um, the other like contemporary use of like autoencoders. Um, is when you want to be able to do um, stuff like structured production in a domain, or when you want to be able to do intelligent search in a domain, um, you know, it's like um, you might have some algorithm that you want to like, you know, you know that you have like an algorithm to like identify properties of like a molecule that has like potential for like, um, medical like design, um, but if you're just going to be um, conducting your search by doing just like gradient descent on like the rating um, from the like you know good mo good molecule recognizer in uh, um, the raw tabular like representation space, a the space isn't even even going to be like continuous. It's unclear like you know how to even like move, and even if you come up with some you know. Um, brute way to make it like continuous. You just you've been doing stuff like really chaotic, like inefficient, like search. So the idea is by like first doing like an autoencoding um, of like the space of um, molecular like structures. You're going to be like instead able to like conduct your like um, optimization. You know, when first searching for like the molecules, the good like properties um, in and so of like you know intelligently meaningfully like arranged latent space where um, directions correspond you know in at least like some rough sense to sort of like more deeply meaningful um, you know molecular chemistry um, structural concepts um, and then also like yeah another use fate is like you know for like um, this is something that people can also do with like reversible guns, which are like in some sense just like another flavor of like autoencoder. Um, there are some like formal correspondences too to show that like reversible guns um, are in some sense just like an autoencoder with like that instead of using like pixel distance to judge the quality of approximation, use like a more you know uh, yeah you know a more clever like method. Um, is the, you know if you want image editing uh, without having to use like the mediation of like language, um, then you can sort of like use a two-way gun or like autoencoder to um, again, like learn like a latent space representation of your image um, data set, and then you can do like some vector arithmetic to find interesting direction. Like you know you like subtract 
um, you know, like a woman with like red hair from like a similar woman without like red hair. And now you have got like the red hair vector and you can like, you know, yeah, give like arbitrary like people like red hair by like um, moving the representation of them in the direction of like that vector in the latent space. Um, and then the last thing that like autoencoders are still used for um, is for yeah extreme forms of image of like um, image compression, um, and for and I guess they're also like used for like anomaly detection, like when you just do like anomaly detection like on the chip. Um, so the other thing about it is like you know they're sort of like. Um, you know, they're a little bit for like everything and like and for like nothing. They give you in a way, you know, the most sort of kind of like what would say, I don't know, like you know, general or like generic form of structural insight into a into a, like a data set, um, which. Um, you can think of like in terms of well you know what you, like you learn is that the data in the original like data set um was um sort of like lying around a lower like dimensional um not too high curvature um sub manifold in the input space and that by like projecting from like data in the data cloud to the surface of like the lower dimensional um, submanifold, you're gonna be um, incurring like only a pretty like reasonable like loss in like pixel distance. And furthermore, the things that you're gonna be losing might be from some like relevant point of view in essential like noise. Um, so that by in so that by like sort of like moving like along like the manifold, you're somehow like moving like along the sort of like the directions of structurally meaningful like differences um, between like data points like in the training set or in like you know or, or in like the distribute the domain's distribution uh, while sort of like you know ignoring um, structurally irrelevant um, properties properties that are sort of like kind of like determined at the micro level without like reflecting like deep things about like the macro or like structural level so they also have this sort of kind of like natural like denoising effect so you know they're they're basically they're like a way to like try to find the manifold on which the essential differences between the data in the data generating domain lie and uh, yeah and this is has like you know an incredible like array of like relatively like weak like benefits um, for like things that you can also do otherwise, and maybe the more like unique benefit of like allowing you to do um, what I would call sort of like yes, yeah, sort of like um, act to perform like acts of imagination and acts of sort of like intelligent search over like a space of like possibilities. I mean, that's really the one thing that you truly want like nowadays um, an autoencoder or like a reversible like gun for, and like nothing else. Like if you Again, there's some like, property that you're like looking for, and you don't want to just be like running around uh, on possible inputs like a headless chicken, like looking for it. Um, and this is the thing, like this already kind of like connects today. Then it's like you know the best like the most like plausible like defense of like you know what art gives us in the most of like you know 
concrete of like, oh, what benefits to society terms is like, well, you know, um, there's often, there's long been this idea that like arts like allows us to think about like different ways that things could be. And it's sort of like arts of like enlarges um, or, or rather like art like allows us to sort of like do like search, not just by sort of like, um, moving like along with stuff like you know already like visited places <laughs> in like the graph of like possibilities and not just by doing stuff like simple like interpolation but like art allows us to sort of like have kind of like you know um free intelligent reversal of like a space of possibilities um that can have like many 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 like corners that are just like you know um not something you would like intuitively think about as like even like possible if you're just like looking at like the already existing examples of what we have uh, um, with a kind of soft like naive eye. Um, so this is like a slightly elaborate like um, introduction to like audio encoders and the like various like uses, uh, which like I feel like is necessary just because like, you know, sometimes when I say like, oh yeah, auto encoders I want to talk about, people are sort of like, you know, well, why, why don't you want to talk about like, you know, like, you know, GPT type like models that are like so much like more powerful. And like the reason is being like, you know, like autoencoders have this like interesting property of just sort of like, you know, giving you a little bit of every kind of like useful thing while also perhaps having this like special function that has to do with like the possibility to sort of like traverse and explore possibility spaces. Um, okay, so this, I guess, would be like, you know, my general introduction to like autoencoders and why they're cool and why they're like interesting. Maybe I can just very quickly um, recap kind of what you said here about autoencoders, maybe the key bits, and then we can move on to, to more of the fun stuff. So to, um, to kind of recap here, uh, let's just rehearse sort of what you said about autoencoders. I think that was a really helpful introduction. So... Um, as many people are familiar with, and as you pointed out, autoencoder acts basically like I've got, say, an image. I want to reconstruct that image by stuffing it through a latent space that is smaller in dimensionality than the original image. And so I have to reconstruct that. That impels me to learn some more basic structural features of the image that ideally should correspond to what is important about that image, not just things that are going to be noisy artifacts that don't matter to kind of the, the basic gestalt of what that image is expressing, as you were kind of saying. And so what that sort of allows us to do then is develop this lower dimensional manifold. We can move along that manifold, realize more basic features, artifacts, aspects of what it is to be or exist in this kind of collection of images and thereby equipped with that more basic sense we also have a sense of the space of possibilities. So not just my input set of dogs and cats, but what is the space of possibilities for what dogs and cats could plausibly look like based off of what I've got in my input set. I like to think of them, like, you know, I talk about it to like non-machine learning people. It's like, well, autoencoder like machine for turning a set of objects into a space of possibilities. Um, and it's also like, you know, it's very interesting to think about the fact that like, you know, you could like move some of like the objects in like in one set to like another set and like, you know, and like do the autoencoding and in the context of it's like other like set, you know, they're like structurally like meaningful or like, you know, or they're like, you know, substance rather than noise. 
features of like you know that image would be like different than what they are if you were like you know encoding it in the context of like another set right so it's of like they find sort of like the essential or structural features of like an object sort of like understood within the context of a particular like set where you want to like understand sort of like um yeah what the similarity and difference mean within the context of like that set right so it's it's a kind of like fast philosophically fascinating feature of them which is sort of like you know the essence is not a property of like objects it's a property of like objects in the context of a set of like objects and you could have like you know the same object in like a different set of objects and then like you know what's taken to be like you know the signal versus the noise or like you know the structure versus the particular you know can be quite different um so so you know i think for anyone kind of like interested in uh, um contemporary philosophy you know you even think of stuff like 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 Deleuze or like um, you know, this is quite a sort of like a sparkly like features of like other encoder. You know, there's this like um, famous Deleuzean concept of like assemblages, um, which is uh, yeah, how sort of like um, you know, like molecules, molecules in the sense of like you know, like like individuals, which can be like any kind of like thing. Um, sometimes like attach themselves to some kind of like aggregate that has its own sort of like um system of like logic what do we um and uh, you know yeah they mean and do a particular thing within the context of like that like aggregate but then they can sort of like become detached from that aggregate and join like another like aggregate or another like assemblage in which suddenly um they're like working according to like a different like logic and their individual like meaning is now sort of like you know yeah shifted to the language of like that um like assemblage and like you know the legend called it like the process of like you know territorialization deter and deterritorialization um so it's like um that's like a fun little sort of like easter egg for the Deleuzeans in the crowd <laughs> um yeah i think uh i'm not sure how many ml people are gonna also be Deleuzeans. um i i definitely had my Deleuze phase back in i think like high school debate when i first got interested in this stuff um but yeah, a lot of interesting intersections here. I guess now that we've kind of recapped the the autoencoder and some connections, I'd love to get back into the fun stuff. So maybe here we can kind of bridge towards how this connects a little bit more explicitly. So you were kind of uh, gesturing at this earlier, but we can talk a little bit about some of these concepts that relate to your idea of ambient meaning. So you mentioned Stimmung earlier, what that is, and how this kind of how we can kind of express all of this, what's going on with art in that autoencoder language. Right. So um, the kind of sort of like, you know, the fundamental sort of like gimmick of like the autoencoder pitch or like the pitch of like autoencoder is being like a good model for thinking about like art is um, that it's easy to empirically demonstrate um, not to a tremendously powerful degree, but to like a substantively powerful like degree, and easy to sort of like give um, sketch, you know, proof sketches with some idealizing assumptions of the following property of autoencoders, which I call their like art-like property. Um, third, the property is like this: um, given an autoencoder architecture and like a training set. Um, 
if you train an autoencoder, um, you know, that uses architecture like X on a training set um, T, let's assume that like T is also like it's an infinite training like set, like, you know, it's like um, it's an infinite like data stream and you train to convergence. Um, okay, now you have uh, um, the training set on the one hand and the, on the other hand you have like the set of um, all the possible outputs of the trained autoencoder, um, you know, because we're talking about like a bottleneck of autoencoder and because we're like assuming that like, you know, you can truly, truly like decompose um, the, you know, the data in like the training set um, into a pure sort of like lower dimensional like manifold support, right? Or a model is one where it's like, you know, it's not, you know, the, the ver it's always important to remember that, that the manifold hypothesis is not that like the data actually lives on the lower dimensional manifold, but that it lives near lower dimensional manifold, and that's like very important because that means that like you know we don't expect um, the auto you know the even like the, like the ideal autoencoder trained on like infinite like data like ideally. Um, you know, if it's doing any interesting amount of dimensionality reduction, we don't expect like perfect reconstructions. We expect there, you know, we expect instead the outputs of the autoencoder um, to be um, a kind of idealization or sort of like simplification, or you know, we might say um, distillation already hinting here about like a particular machine learning meaning that's gonna come in handy of the objects like in the training set. Um, and you can kind of like imagine like, you know, the um, the set of all the possible outputs of the trained autoencoder as, you know, the actual like lower dimensional submanifold, you know, so the kind of like twirling gymnast like ribbon that's like surrounded by like the cloud, by like, you know, the cloud of like the data from the training set, right? Okay. so. Having set it up, the interesting like property is that now um, I have another autoencoder with the same or similar architecture. Um, um, this autoencoder is like untrained. Again, we're assuming that its architecture though is like you know roughly similar to that of the autoencoder that we trained, and we want to like train this like autoencoder um, to have a model. Of like the training set or of the like you know the the distribution generating like domain um, that's like um, as good as like possible, um, but suddenly we don't have much like time and like we don't have like um, infinite sampling power like anymore. We can only like do like a very limited amount of sampling. Um, it's more efficient to sample from the trained autoencoder's reconstruction of like data from the original training set than it is to sample from the training set. That is to say, um, once we've sort of like decided on an architecture, and then architecture, you can think of the same as architecture, sort of like saying, like, you know, well, what's the maximal level of like precision that the model of the world that we're going for can have. Um, it's then, you know, more informative about the world to sample from 
um, a very well like optimized instance of this architecture than it is to sample from the actual like world. So you can set it for like a certain notion of structure, you know, that's sort of like defined by sort of like architecture. Um, the reconstructions by an autoencoder can be more informative about the structure of the world than the world itself is. Um, now, some caveats. This only works when we're like talking about like you know, um, relatively. If we're like allowed to do like a relatively small amount of like sampling, um, like we're talking about something like you know, training the new autoencoder on, you know, like at most of like you know. Like, 10%, 15% of like the data that we like train the like super convergent like auto like encoder on. But when you're like in these like regimes, um, you get, you know, um, it's not only that like what you get is like much more similar to the original auto encoder if you train on its outputs and if you train on training set. It's also that like, you know, if you then like separate a validation set, you get like much better or at least significantly better validation scores by you know by training on like a small sample from the reconstructions than by training on a small sample from like the actual world from which also the validation examples are like taken right so this gets the idea of like well what is a work of art what is like a good work of art well a good work of art is something that like is more informative about the world than the world is informative about the world um and i you know like to think about like in terms of um, i like to use like the language of like vibe um and they say well you know um you know yeah autoencoders there's of like they're like um vibe absorption machine they absorb like the vibe of like something and like learn how to like model from this like, vibe like a space of possibility and sort of like you know proto-conceptual like and, and coordinates that sort of like have like proto-conceptual like meaning um, and so forth. Um, but like, you know, a lot of like vibe, the vibes in the world are like pretty, pretty sparse, pretty loose. There's like so much going on in the world that like even like a lot of, you know, sort of like fundamental structures that are at play in a certain context um, have uh, you know, get like diluted by like signals from so many like other things that are like going on um, in sort of like the same like processes. Um, but like, you know, because of sort of like, I think sort of like, you know, yeah, central limit me kind of like reasons, you know, um, a lot of like all the other meaningful things that like go on in the production of like a certain, data structure you know can kind of like add up like to noise if you're just like trying to like to focus on like what you like you can model so it's not necessarily that what you can't model truly is just like noise but from like the point of view of the sort of like architectural limits that you've set of yourself we think of like all the you know on their own right meaningful and structured like processes and aspects that you can't model you know can add up to being like quite like noise like um so um you know so yeah, in the real world, we have sort of like a vibe where our vibe is some kind of like, you know, in a way like the fingerprint of a generative, of like a generative like process. Um, in the real world, though, it gets like pretty diluted because there are like so many things like going like on like in like every single thing that like makes it like into like um, 
the sensory world as we experience it. Um, what a work of like art like does is it creates, um, it captures the distilled form of um, the vibe that are like that a given architecture is like equipped to, like to tune to, or or rather it like suits sort of like the I don't know the complexity sort of the constraints of a given architecture, and it gives you this like distilled vibe like in the work of art, which like to say like you know you can think of it in terms of like you know we have the expression like the Kafkaesque, right, um, and uh, you know we talk about like things in the world like being Kafkaesque. Um, you know, it's become like very useful. Like over the last hundred years, we use it like a lot. When you think of like the Kafkaesque, you know, as being well things that sort of like you know have in some like loose way the vibe that you get like in an incredibly concentrated way. Uh, um, you know, in a Kafka novel or rather, or from the totality of Kafka's corpus. If you read a collection of like Kafka, like you know, um, short stories or like fragments of the things you can say like in you know, sort of being Kafkaesque, they're like Kafkan. The things that happen in Kafka fictional world or in Kafka text or like you know Kafkan things, they have like the Kafka vibe in its like purest form. Many things in the world are Kafkaesque. Um, they have sort of like you know a loose form of like the vibe that like the works of like Kafka sort of like um, distill into like um, a lot of the truly controls or like meaningful difference in like the Kafka universe. You can think like oh, in a Kafka novel, whenever two things are like different, they're different on sort of like the manifold of the Kafkan. You know, they're like they're always like different along like some like direction that is like modeled by sort of like um, the the Kafka autoencoder. Um, in the actual like world, things are, many things are like different in like ways. Uh, um, you know, that are like outside, that like, um, that are like external to that, like, like sub manifold, but by sort of like projecting, um, things like in the world to the sort of like, um, manifold of like pure Kafka possibilities that we're creating while reading Kafka, um, we can sort of learn how to like see things, um, under like the aspect of like the Kafka, and we can. Learn to see things, um, you know, as operating within uh, a Kafkaesque vibe or a Kafkaesque logic or sort of like you know, um, Kafkaesque like gestalt. Um, so the story is basically that um, you know the the kind of fairy tale way to tell the story is that like. Um, um, a writer or like an artist is somebody who spends an inordinate like amount of like you know time and like compute um, and maybe not just like you know she herself but like you know could be like a multi generational like you know process of like gathering wisdom and insight like into the world um, and this like you know um, really like engage like intensement. Um, really intense engagements with sort of like the data in a certain like corner in the world of the world that seems to have some potential coherence to it um, leads to an autoencoding like um, modeling of sort of like the data streams that like occur in that like aspect or like niche like of like the world. 
this is then rendered in a work of art. Um, and when we talk about a work of art, I'm kind of neutral between saying like, oh, is like the data object in the work of art, like, you know, the language or the mental imagery or like the events or the, I think like, you know, we have like, we know that like, you know, you can have multi-modal like autoencoders, like in principle, like the heterogeneity problem in asking like, you know, what are the materials of a work of art doesn't usually bother me. So I just want to say like, yeah, the production of a work of art, some kind of like assemblage of like, you know, images and language and events and places and objects and thought is created um, that can be um, sort of like basically losslessly modeled by the lossy um, but useful modeling process that like the artist developed over her sort of like, you know, lifetime of like engaging with the world and trying to find sort of like you know structure and like vibe in it right so it's of like a vibe is a lossy way of apprehending the world i think sort of like kind of like analogous to like an autoencoding um it's gonna lose track of some probably many important things but from a point of view that kind of like treats them as like noise and denoises them away and keeps track of some very important things, where things can be similar and different, ways that one can move in the space of possibilities and so forth. Um, and then um, there's sort of like interesting art-like property of like vibe and thought of as like an autoencoder is that if I want to teach you how to see the real world according to the vibe, you know, you know, if I want to teach you the good, nice method of lossy compression for like the real world, um, and and like I don't have like an unrestricted amount of samples to give you, and then what I want to do is give you like a sample from a constructed world in which the vibe is not lossy, a world in which this vibe captures like everything and every and all the meaningful differences and similarities happen sort of like within uh, the space encapsulated by this like vibe um and my pitch also for sort of like uh, as you, you know as some people might know like the word like vibe is like really taken off like in the last um four or five like years uh, is like a way to talk about like uh, practically everything um i was i was doing it I was talking about like vibe like a decade like before that, but I think that there's actually a convergence between like my sense, the sense in which I like to talk about vibe and um the kind of stuff like I don't know, like yeah, trend forecasting, very online cultural like politics, um, slash like vibe camp for like the post-rationalist. We're talking about it when we say like, oh, like, yeah, a vibe is fundamentally um, a space of possibilities within which um, similarities and differences between things that share a vibe can be sort of like more precisely articulated or like more precisely like felt and like navigated. Um, then I want to say like you know I want to say it's much harder to compare to compare a thing from within one vibe to a thing from like another vibe and that's why like when people talk about like vibe shift or things like that they often talk about sort of like well a loss of 
a lot of fluency and a lot of like way to know how to like to map the world. It's a little bit of like the apples and oranges thing, right? And we would say like, well, when we say that like apples are similar to like apples, we're also saying like, oh, if like to it's easy to articulate how one apple is different from another apple. It's harder to like articulate how like a particular like apple is like different or similar to um, a particular like orange. Like you know, like you know, when we categories of like similarity are also are always also just like articulation of like spaces of like uh, in which like difference and similarity can be finally articulated between things that fall within uh, um, the the category or like the field that it is. Um, yeah, that can be articulated between like things from like disparate one. Sometimes also like yeah, related to the sense in which like you know when you learn um, to understand classical music, you both learn to recognize what classical music is, and you learn to meaningfully understand like the difference between like you know different classical music compositions. I feel like there's like a very important like relationship between uh, um, learning uh, um, a category. You know, in a sense that I hope is hopefully like more like robust than like what sort of like standard like feed forward classifier like neural networks do, and like learning to make understand meaningful distinctions and relations within the category. And that's why reason why things of like autoencoders might actually be um, important in like the future of like machine learning because I think to me. Uh, seems to me there's something quite fundamental to thought about the relationship between like you know. Yeah, learning a category or it's not like you learn to recognize or identify like a vibe and learning to think meaningfully about fine relations between things within um, that vibe. Yeah, um, there are a lot of ideas here and you you do articulate a lot of what you said here really splendidly in a few different essays. I think one of yours that has gotten a lot of attention recently is why poetry is a variety of mathematical experience, and you make this argument really well. Your thesis has a lot of interesting bits in it. I do kind of want to dive into maybe a few case studies and examples here, just in terms of how this manifests in like various pieces of art, of literature that we might be familiar with. But just kind of recapping again, so really this autoencoder allows us to express what is going on between the world that gets mediated through some form of language, through art, um, and, you know, we sort of approach it and we're able to develop by um, virtue of the autoencoder-like nature of art, distilling down um, some truth about the world into like these very basic features from the perspective of, I now have access to that latent space, then, as you're saying, I kind of have an orientation, a language, a mode of representation that I can use to navigate around the world, um, given that kind of orientation. And I guess uh, this kind of relates to some of the concepts of like mood among we were talking about earlier, there's that orientation that really kind of allows for the possibility of affective experience. And so there's some really important things to say here. But I guess I have a few things. So I started talking about Joyce earlier. I do want to dive into that in a second. But first, there is a bit in your dissertation that I found kind of interesting and I wanted to ask you about. So I'm just quoting from you here, a literary work, at least in part, as an ensemble of imaginary objects whose aesthetic unity is the scheme of some totalizing worldview. 
which is in turn a worldview whose gestalt internalizes and naturalizes the systemic logic of some real material world. And I find myself really interested in, in the totalizing worldview aspect of that and how that like might or might not apply to different works of literature. And the first thing that came up for me here was Dostoevsky, because I think that the experience that I had reading it was something I kind of found articulation for in Bakhtin and his theory of the polyphonic novel. Really, the idea that when you are reading Dostoevsky, there is this felt sense that each character, like Ivan Karamazov, for example, kind of is in and of himself, like a world and, and a telos of his own. And that doesn't necessarily fit under the umbrella, the picture of what the narrator or author wants to express with the novel. So I thought that was kind of an interesting way of putting it. And it really didn't match my experience of reading, reading him. But I guess, you know, I have a little bit of, I'm not sure exactly how maybe a theory like that fits with the description you have, or if you kind of had this as like an exception in mind or something. But I guess I'm, I'm curious about how you think about the totalizing worldview aspect. So this maps, I think, strongly to um, a distinction that's like really important in like literary studies, uh, especially within the confines of what's known as like the Marxist theory of like forms or like the Marxist like theory of like the novel, uh, which wants to make the distinction between uh, um, epic forms which deliver a sort of like, you know, um, yeah, kind of sort of like, you know, totalizing stimung or sort of like, yeah, like kind of like more like um, a gaze or like a way of like being in the world or again, sort of like, you know, models of like, the conditions for the possibility of like a certain kind of like human niche or like human like life world and it's sort of like stability and its capacity to like self reproduce um versus like you know the novel has often been thought of as um the form that um deals with I don't want to say like, sort of like the breakdown like of that and this like in a way there's like something like fake about this like narrative like anyway but it's like very conceptually like useful that idea like um the canonical take on like the novel like um comes to us from like um Georgi Lukacs um is that the novel deals with the um, so of like iterative establishment and like disturbance um of sort of like um stimungs or sort of like you know and yeah sort of like vibe models or sort of like geist models of um specifically i guess of like the social world uh, and also i guess of sort of like the the individuals like place was in it and that it's like yeah and it's like you know what it like the pigs is a kind of sort of like i don't know carousel or like spiral of um 
Well, there's a sort of there's a kind of sort of like for Lucas it'll be the more sort of like I guess kind of like Hegelian like model where it's like you know, um, vibe systems of like meet a kind of breaking point, um, and uh, they sort of like and then they sort of like they learn something, they learn something about what you know, what in the world sort of like not only maybe cannot be like avoided or must be incorporated, but um, maybe they learn about things that have been sort of like in some way part of the structural conditions for like achieving the kind of coherence that they like achieved, but then these things themselves cannot fit into this kind of like coherence. It's sort of like um, a recreation at the level of like vibe of what like I spoke of is this of like, oh, the reason that like, um, that like the mother, that like the vibe that's like the mother of like the concept workshop can't itself be like described like conceptually, um, you know, you so there's like a thing for Lucas for itself like saying like oh you know whenever there's a sort of like um like a vibe this vibe followed from some sort of like you know material conditions often for Lukács one should be understood like on a kind of like you know, economics, less social, less like world historical, having to do with sort of like technological development and social class and like um, antagonisms between like different strands of like society conditions. And once we understand how like these conditions are sort of like um, the reason that like the vibe or the like world image that you have has been functioning as well as it did, and you face the crisis of these conditions being ones that are like, you know, actually quite vibe discordant, um, you have to sort of like try and, uh, you know, um, have like another go. It's like building sort of like something like more capacious, um, you know, possibly like looser, um, but finding like, you know, yeah, a new kind of like unity that can also incorporate the sort of like, um, like material or the invisible to you until now, material or social conditions um, that like enabled the former like unity. So that's sort of like one way in this sort of the stir of like the novel and it's like weird relationship to sort of like totality or to like vibe totality works. Another really important one, which I think is the one that you alluded to, um, this was like, you know, Bakhtin's uh, um, reading of Dostoevsky. Did you mention Bakhtin specifically? I can't remember. Just talk about your experience of the Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, which is um, there. It's like more of um, there's been like really successful like literary theory books of like reviving these ideas recently, like Free and Direct by Timothy Beals. Everybody's going wild for that book in like literary studies. Um, and that sort of like once like say like the novel is characterized by sort of like the construction of sort of like world images or world unities, but then like the immediate suspension of their like force or of their like claim to reality, um, or if, like or again or, or even like their claim to sort of like you know being able to like hold themselves together um long term or even sometimes like of their claim to like non-arbitrariness so like the question of like oh maybe i think that i'm having this off like you know truly like 
organic unit. It truly relies on the hospitability of the raw data to the kind of structures that I'm bringing. Result possibility, like, you know, oh, like I'm kidding myself. I'm actually doing like insane amounts of stuff like, you know, um, extra computation, like labor, like all the time. Like this is not simple to compute and sort of like, and I'm actually like, you know, um, it's actually way, way, way more lossy than like it could have been. So I do think like, you know, there's certainly sort of like uh, experiences of like false or like arbitrary um, sense of unity or of coherence or, or of like structure. So the idea that like in the novel, uh, the establishment of these sort of like zones of like vibe harmony is uh, always under suspicion um, or is always sort of like held in suspension. Uh, um, and specifically in the Bakhtin way of like reading Dostoevsky, this is done, uh, um, yeah, through having all these characters uh, um, just like, you know, do like a battle royale of sort of like vibe against vibe, mental language and against like mental like language. Um, and I think that's why, like, you know, the concept of like mood remains like important because I, you know, I love talking about like vibe as being the almost sort of like, you know, the kind of like objective correlative of like mood. Like, you know, a vibe is like a mood. Like, again, it's like things that said in the beginning, so like, oh, you think of like a mood is like a way of sort of like, you know, like disregarding some patterns, but noticing some like other like patterns. Um, you know, I think of like a vibe as being like when, you know, when the world in some sense, forms a niche that collaborates with it, right? Like the world forms like a niche where like, you know, some patterns um, like dominate such as like a mood that like keeps great track of like those patterns, but like keeps like poor track or like treats as noise like other patterns is not going to be very lossy with regard to that like world or that like niche in the world. Um, but, you know, but yeah, but there aren't like only vibes, there are also like moods. There are like things like in the world where there's sort of like, you know, there's always like an open question of sort of like, you know, well, you know, what mood shall I like approach approach with this like um, part of the world or part of my experience or like, you know, moment in history or in culture or in, in my personal life or in my family life with, you know, what, what patterns am I casting off and what patterns uh, am I sort of like building my... Uh, um, you know, lower dimensional like manifold around. Um, so, so I think there's like definitely a tradition of thinking about like the novel and especially sort of like the Dostoevsky and like type of novel as uh, um, basically a battle royale between modes that are each claiming to be attuned to an actual like vibe where again we're like vibe is something like the objective condition of like a mood being genuinely functional or genuinely appropriate in some context because you get sort of like you know genuinely fairly low loss um from like the relevant kind of like or encoding um so this is like yeah this is like in some sense, like, you know, if you ask a contemporary literary theorist, like, you know, what is, like, the novel, and they, for some reason, decide to, like, use my vocabulary, they would say, sort of, like, well, the novel is a sort of, like, conversation and competition 
and sort of like game of musical chair um, between moods uh, that are seeking to lay claim to a vibe. That's a really interesting way of putting it. Yeah, I guess I'm I'm trying to sort of map this onto thinking about specific works and how I felt about that. I mean, I guess, you know, I kind of used the Brothers Karamazov earlier as like my case in point about this and the way that I guess you could you could look at Ivan as like a particular player mood kind of in this whole landscape. And, you know, Alyosha kind of as, as something quite totally different. But yeah, the, the battle between moods articulation is definitely really interesting to me. Yeah, I've sadly never read like the Brothers Karamazov. Like my like Brothers Karamazov is like Musil's like the man without qualities, which is one of the other like great like novels of sort of like uh like the middle quality it's, it's almost has the effect of sort of like in like you know in Escher like infinitely descending ascending like staircase of sort of like perspectives where it's of like oh you feel like things are getting more and more and more capacious and then suddenly something gets like some like wealth scene gets off like you know pwned by something like quite you know by something that seems like quite like beneath it um um i I want to say, like, um, I think um, I know, one of the classic examples, I guess, in Russian like literature is uh, actually sorry. I'm trying to think about sort of like let me try and think if I can think of like a good, you know, maybe like popular like work of like art um, that I would characterize as having specific sort of like you know a clash of like um moods represented by sort of like you know different ideologues i mean i think um have you have you watched the wire i don't think so actually oh yeah it's always like tricky with this like something like with this like you know very fine like aesthetic like concept i feel like each person has like um you know the work of art that for them like truly embodies it, but because you have to feel like often have like built such like an intense relationship to a work of art, to really like feel like oh this like embodies this of like you know dense of modern ways of seeing, uh, um, it can often be like hard to sort of like you know converge on an example to discuss um, outside of like you know um, yeah a particular group of friends or like a particular like I get that. specializing like in russian literature like in german literature um you know one of, um i do maybe want to mention like just like another famous kind of sort of like relation to like mood in literature that is not the sort of like they like the letting the mood totalize itself as an all-inclusive vibe which is uh, there's like a famous like um looking back to german idealism um, there's a famous like concept from sort of like you know the competitor camp like German romanticism of like romantic irony, where like romantic irony is about sort of like you can think of it as like the construction of like um, moods or like way of seeing or like way of organizing experience that are always taking like a step back to themselves from themselves. And sort of like want you to also like be aware of like the way of seeing itself being an object that both could be sort of like 
compared to like other ways of like seeing and like related like to them. So you know, there's like famous of like move offs of like you know um, turning like the subject, the sense of subjectivity into like the object, where it's like you construct a way of seeing, then you kind of like take like a step back from it by injecting with some sort of like yeah, some kind of like ironic like notes or just sort of like you suddenly switch your kind of like tone of philosophical coldness and the thing that was like at first first um a kind of sort of like um i don't know if you wouldn't necessarily say like transparent but certainly like authoritative way of unifying like the manifold of the world suddenly become itself like a data object um and you could maybe sort of like you know lining up with like many 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 others of like you know like um modes lined up lined up as like data objects um uh, and then sort of like you know start like modeling like, and like start modeling like moods or moods or sort of like or i guess like i guess or i guess like vibes of like moods if i'm like keeping with the terminology or want to say it like you know vibe is when like something actually like works out at the level of like compression of the subject matter and like mood is more sort of like you know the subjective decision uh, or like the, the subjective sort of like uh, disclosing and foreclosing that comes from um, using a particular um, like autoencoding schema or like lossy compression schema. Um, here's like another like angle on like the same thing that I think would be like equally or like more like helpful, which is that like you know, when I say that like a work of art um, expresses um, a totalizing, some like totalizing like view of like the world, again, the same totalizing view of the world as something like, you know, like a vibe wise view of like the world or like the world as filtered um, through like a, a mood that, that imputes a vibe to it. Um, there's something like a little bit like missing, which is like, you know, when I say, expresses it do i just mean like well it's a good way to learn how to like apply the mood or like how like to track the vibe and like you know um the the sort of like technical part of my work which by the way is not um i did like the empirical like stuff but i've had like the wonderful like yeah world-class mathematician thomas schlank helped me come up with like the theorem sketches which i should mention um so um so that formal part does, in a way, tell the kind of sort of like dumb version of the story. It's like, oh, look, art just sort of like teaches you what life experiences teaches you, but quicker. Um, you know, I don't think that can or should be like the whole story. There seems to be, you know, something else that we want to be saying about sort of like the work of art enabling a kind of like reflective relationship to like the vibe qua vibe and to the kind of sort of like mood that does like the work of sort of like you know projecting from like the actual like raw matter of the world to the sort of like manifold on which the world is like interpreted like vibe wise and i think this sort of like you know reflective like relationship and the question of like in what senses it's like the work of art doesn't just like teach you like a way of seeing but make the way of seeing itself in some sense visible i think that's something that's quite hard to talk about like technically but is also very important 
um, you know, to what we think like art does and why art is like important. Um, and even when, you know, when we talk about works of art that do um, reveal or like do sort of like enact or express a totalizing view of the world, you know, it's often, especially I think, yeah, for like discourse and the epic, you know, sense, like um, even like before Hegel, even like Jean-Baptiste, like Vico and things like that, the idea that, that like, um, it's not only that you learn the way of seeing, the way of seeing itself is uh, made graspable as a way of seeing and as like a relation to materials um, that could perhaps also be like seen like otherwise or or at least um, as being suitable to like a particular like potentially just like temporary constellation of like the world and ways in which like the constellation of the world that makes the world you know have like the vibe that makes it like align so well with like the mood that could be sort of like you know disturbed or like changed or like broken and then like a different like mood and interpretation of like a different vibe would be called for so to me so to me there's this question it's like i don't have like a, a technical formulation for which is what does the what is it about like learning you know the vibe from a kind of like you know distilled version of like the vibe where the like the autoencoder can sort of like kind of like overfit without actually ever overfitting because you are like aiming for like absolute like lossless compression um, um you know what does this have to do with the capacity to actually relate to the act of compression in a different way from which we relate in like everyday life i have one kind of like thought like about it which is that like I mean, it has again to do with why i think autoencoders are like interesting um you know if you compare like you know yeah an autoencoder to like a gpt like model an autoencoder is like really much closer to giving you its own space of possibilities as like a mathematical like object you know, again, if we're speaking about like a bottleneck autoencoder with like pixel-wise independent, um, you know, decoder nodes, um, then we literally are talking about like this geometric like object, which is the like you know lower dimensional like manifold. Which has also been empirically studied to be like you know like a very low curvature, lower like dimensional like manifold, and it's sort of like you know, I. Here I'm getting a little bit woo, but I kind of want to say like, you know, there might be some meaningful sense in which um, when we're sort of like given this manifold as an object that's presented in front of us kind of like directly by being given all these like samples directly from the manifold rather than from like the cloud like around it uh, would become potentially, you know, at some intuitive or like some personal like level, reflectively conscious of the lower dimensional submanifold um, that is effectively like the autoencoder as a mathematical like object and can actually sort of like think in some sense about the relationship between. Uh, the lower dimensional manifold and like the data cloud like around it and about its like relationship to like you know 
other data clouds, like sending for like other domain, also maybe of even if it's like, you know, think about its relationship to like other lower dimensional manifold that you get if you like change your training set like a little bit and add like, you know, or maybe like add some add some different kinds of like data points or like increase or decrease like the weight um that you know that the cost function like gives to getting like other data points correctly or like incorrectly so i have uh, some intuition that the reason that other coding might be like key like to the whole thing uh, is that it seems to me like among the different sort of like ways we have of sort of like you know learning some kind of like ambient way uh, to produce like objects that are like in tune with a certain kind of like thing, which of course GPTs are like are like amazing at. We've all seen this of like, oh, produce like the Cormac McCarthy story about going to the supermarket or sort of like, you know, explain quantum explain quantum mechanics to me, but like in the language of like um like a plumber's union rep from the 1920s. It's amazing at these things. Um but it seems like, you know, with GPTs, I don't think it would really say uh, that there is uh, any clear mathematical like object standing for the space of sort of like vibunity or like style unity that it knows how to move in. Thing like would say like these like GPT type models have you know they have a kind of like a productive capacity to like move along a vibe. Or of course now it's an open question about whether that vibe itself has a geometrical interpretation or like not not. But like you know it has like a production capacity. It might be related to what like you know um, the French philosophical sociologist like Pierre Bourdieu would call like a habitus which you define is that sort of like, you know, the productive capacity to produce like speech, like an action that fall within the sort of like, often like ineffable rules of like taste and etiquette and tone that like define um, either a certain social class in a political sense, but also, oh yeah, there's like the habitus of being an academic. There's the habitus of being like a god. There's like the habitus of being like an online rationalist. But I think like a habitus marks um, a kind of like maybe pure productive capacity of the kind that I think that like GPT models have. And I think I see autoencoders as at least drawing near something that's close to like an explicit geometrical representation of the space of possibility within which the productive capacity it's like vibe attuned or like or like um or the like or within which like the way of like seeing that's like mood constrained takes place and that might lend autoencoding best based representation to further kind of reflective thought and sort of like intercomparison with other autoencoder based representations in a way that might we might be sort of like you know might not be readily available to a cognitive system that's only sort of like learning system in the sort of like gpt way or using contrastive like learning and i'm even sort of like open to the idea that maybe in everyday life we learn things using like much more like efficient sort of like 
um you know sort of like yeah sort of like um practical attunement to vibe techniques such as the ones that you would get from like all kind of contrastive learning methods or like next word like or next token prediction like methods um and that art might be a special context in which we go for the many ways like you know yeah more computationally pricey um less effective in like many concrete ways for like downstream classification and things like that kind of like manifold learning like other encoder like representation that may lend itself to reflection and higher order cognition um in a more straightforward like way uh, than this more um directly like performance oriented uh, unsupervised learning like methods um that are now dominant so basically even though i don't have a, a technical theory of what to grasp a vibe reflectively and in a way that allows you to place it in a space of relationship to like to other vibes or to other moods or to other moods laying claim to a vibe is uh, i think there's some like reason to suspect that there could be such a technical story that takes advantage of the like extreme proximity between uh, autoencoder based representation uh, and having a kind of like actual geometric like object encapsulating uh, sort of like the totality of like everything that they can do i think it's a little bit what he said about like oh autoencoders you know they're like a little bit good for like a million things it's just you know in a way they're just like this one very simple geometrical like object there just are you know uh like a lower dimensional slightly twirly like manifold with like a cloud like around it but then it's like object can do pretty well so many different um important things that have to do with like you know communication compression classification search reducing computational like load um, so to me, there's some kind of like special like promise in uh, the reducibility of all these interesting functions to one kind of like straightforward um, geometrical object. Um, I think that relates to yeah the thing that art really does, which is not just like teach us competencies, but give us a kind of like grasp of vibe competencies. Uh, that allows for like vibes himself to become an object of thought and an object of vibe. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of meta. That's interesting. There are a lot of other directions here that I'm kind of thinking about in regards to all of this. Maybe I can kind of throw in a couple of the other ideas that I had already been thinking about, but you um, kind of throughout the course of, of your writing, and I guess, you know, a lot of those gestures at, the ways that this kind of functions for some of the different modernist writers. So you mentioned like Proust as one of those who puzzle over the relationship between mood as a pattern of experience and mood as experience of a pattern. And I do think a lot about how Proust himself articulates the experience of art. There's this bit in, I want to say, is it Sodom and Gomorrah? One of, one of the middle volumes where 
he kind of thinks about this experience of listening to the Ventil Sonata, Ventil being kind of one of the three artists he finds obsession with, as kind of this this exegesis of, of the human soul. And that does seem, in some sense, kind of a connection when it comes to like the communication of one's stimmung, one's mood, experience of affect through that medium of a piece of music. But I am curious to hear a little bit more because you you brought up a number of different modernist writers and just sort of how you think about their particular way of communicating some of these ideas. Right. So um, there are definitely sort of like, you know, gradations of sort of like the literalness with which sort of like the autoencoder, um, you know, some would say like metaphor, some, some would say like model, some would say like schema can be like applied to what one would think would like actually go down in like the process of like engaging with a work of art. Um, I think that like, you know, the works of art that it like most directly applies to, wait, I've actually had like a list once. Let me, are, uh, so there is a category of like works that like, um, for like literary historian, literary critic, Franco Moretti, um, also like a guy with some like me too stuff by the way, but like anyway, still important in his, you know, still did important work. Um, he talks about this category of, um, uh, sorry, scratch it. I don't want to get to mess up. There's like there's a con- there's a concept called by Franco Moretti of what they call like the mod- modern epic, um, which wants to distinguish like a little bit from like novels, um, and it includes things like um, um, Flaubert's like Bouvard and Picouchet, Joyce's like Ulysses. Um, Pounds Cantos, um, Eliot's like the Wasteland. I think the brother Karamazov, um, Moby Dick, very prominently, um, and the um, the trope of like the modern like epic is that like it deals sort of like directly with you know if the question of like the old epic was sort of like okay we've got like a culture. You know, the culture is, like, relatively self-contained, like, in time and space. And I think that, like, you know, I, like, the poet, can somehow, like, express, like, the soul, you know, the soul of, like, the culture right now. You know, that's what's of, like, at least that's how, I mean, a historicizing philosophical mode, you say, like, oh, this is what, like, Homer did. This is what, like, Virgil did. This is what, like, Dante did. Um, the modern epic is sort of like concerned with how to do that when the the culture or like the life world seems to um a sort of like lack a unifying ideology and doesn't have a sort of like you know i don't know very strong social ties of the way that sort of like you know creates a kind of like you know civic like organism and also when like the world is like very like geographically spread out and also when the world contains just like a huge amount of like objects and like materials in it it's often like you know meant to sort of like uh, be a condition of 
um, largely like industrial and post like industrial worlds, and also you know like relations between kind of like economic and social relations between people are often like mediated by very complicated like you know either like technical institutions like banks or by just of like you know complicated trade lines along like you know of like you know shipping and like train tracks that like you know bring like wheat that was like grown in like algeria all the way to like i don't know like france and terrible geography um so the idea that like, that, like modern, the modern epic is uh, often like a direct like attempt to like try and uh, um, find um, a kind of like horizontal vibe unity in just sort of like the great mess of like things and stuff and. Real, and like haphazard like relations um that like you know that like the world has supposedly like you know um become in sort of like um the early modern period and on you know so sort of like from the like gradually from like the 16th century on with it off like you know picking in like the 19th century um and the idea there is like often that sort of like that some kind of, of at least well maybe you won't be able to find you know one vibe for like everything but you can start like reorganizing like the world by instead of like going along like the traditional like lines of i don't know, like like nation class like religion like city you can try and find these uh um vibe enclaves uh, that are like spread can be spread across like you know very distinct and heterogeneous kind of stuff like you know places people things and like ideas um and try to sort of like you know recapture some sort of like relation like to the world uh, as like a meaningful space or at least like um a patchwork of like meaningful like spaces through the finding of a kind of like basically compressibility relations among the the materials of the world or amongst of like you know or finding or like trying to find like within like the world sets of things often like very like radically distributed between sort of like you know, again, people's places, classes, and even ontological categories. It could be like, oh, some of them are like ideas, some of them are like physical objects, some of them are like people, some of them are like cities, some of them are fragments of text. Um, it is like, you know, you can find, if you can find a, a kind of co-compressibility relation between them, uh, um, then you could you know, sort of like construct like some autoencoder like manifold that represents like a language that can sort of like capture like those things and their sort of like and the space of similarity and difference that make those things at least like intelligible in meaningful ways relative to each other. And then, you know, maybe, 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 you know, because as we mentioned earlier, there's this at least like hopeful connection between 
the kind of latent space encoding that you get just from like the work of successfully compressing and stuff that at least like hints at um, uh, the possibility of the true generative model of the data and what a generative like model of the data is like doing. Um, so it's idea that like maybe, yeah, by first just like finding a sense of like affinity between like certain things and then learning how to like um, find the sort of like vibe coherence in these things that allows us to sort of like relate them to one another through like interesting uh, directions of like variation and similarity, vibe, you know, that are vibe-wise on the same vibe. Maybe what will like emerge is um, some uh, hints at like how to truly understand like the new world system again the things are often like inflected from like the point of view of like a marxist like philosophy of history so the idea is often like the world system would be some kind of like you know um like the logic of like globally international capitalism um or the logic of sort of like um um well it often does also like look back to like vibe because the idea is like oh there are also sort of like you know for hegelian there's also are sort of like you know certain conditions of ways of seeing and understanding like the world that sort of like structure the like globalizing capitalist like forces that structure the like chaotic like world that's like you know spread around so many continents and objects and peoples and like in relations and uh, you know there's this like dream associated with like the modern epic um supposedly of sort of like you know well we start by finding like vibe pockets we learn from like the vibes to get to sort of like meaningful structural relations between things within the vibe then we learn to see meaningful structural relation like among like the vibes among the vibes and then maybe we get like an encoding that can be uh, this can have sort of like the capacity to hint at sort of like you know the true underlying generative like process you know which in like machine learning theory called like disentanglement right like where you want to get like a, you know yeah disentangled factors of like um factors of variation um in the latent space um so i think yes i think there's like the clearest like mapping from the autoencoder story is to this sort of like you know like late Flaubert, um, you know, Moby Dick, T.S. Eliot, Gertrude Stein, um, Joyce, um, you know, some of the great Russian novels like Petersburg. Um, yeah, like Dostoevsky to an extent, um, like these novels are just of like, you know, try to gradually like, ascend from overwhelming chaos to world system through uh, a kind of like great chain of being of sort of like vibes uh, that should ultimately lead to some kind of latent space or disentanglement that reveals uh, the fundamental moving forces of like the human world or the again the particular melange of the like you know the material the natural, the linguistic, and the like subjective or sort of like, you know, of the mind that like makes human worlds um, 
So that's the, I think that's in a way is like my problematic case. One reason, again, you can cut some of what I said, you know, it went super long, but like um, um, one reason why this is my problematic case is very simple, which is that like, you know, these works, of, these novels or like poems, they, they're fairly big and they're fairly, they're in the, and also they fairly intuitively decompose into stuff like elements when you can say like, oh yeah, the element of like the wasteland is like an image fragment and there are like, you know, like 800 like image fragments in the wasteland. We can totally imagine like an autoencoder just like, you know, trying to, you know, do a latent space, like compressed representations of those 800 like image fragments or, you know, we can like, um think about like Moby Dick and say it's like oh like Moby Dick is just like you know it's full of just like um of like strange people and like and sort of like bizarre like personalities that it's like have to do of course is like yeah and like a particular way of relating to the world in a particular social class in a particular sort of like um I don't know, I guess also like rolling like the whaling like economy the whaling economy and it's the whaling and then the whaling economy is like relation to the global economy and we can say, okay, we have all these elements, there's like a lot of them, there's like enough of them that you can actually like imagine like an autoencoder like working with those kinds of data and getting like not garbage. Basically, whenever <laughs> there's a work of art where you can intuitively count something that feels like elements and motifs. And you can count off like at least 500 of them. You can sort of like say that thinking about an autoencoder like literally is not stupid because you can't get like pretty like meaningful learning with autoencoders with like data sets like this small. When we're dealing with something like a lyrical poem or when we're dealing with something like Proust or just like a decomposition into elements is much, much like harder. It's more, it's more kind of like, you know, a continuous like flow of like a thought you know and like you know yeah famously in Proust, like everything gets like immediately syntactically connected to everything else um that's where i feel like you know the um the autoencoder thing becomes either more of like a metaphor or just sort of like a potential like model of what perhaps like the ultimate like product of all the like acts of literary cognition and imagination to engaging with through the work in like various ways um, is going to look like. Although I'm also kind of like, okay, we're saying like, look, the literal autoencoder model, yeah, it only applies to either like big novels or um, poems that are either sort of like large-ish and fragmented or just give rise in the mind to many, 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 many images, even if the poems themselves are like short. And then we can say that like the many, many images arising in the mind are just things that then gets off like, you know, treated as data to be like compressed and like put on like a manifold. Um, and uh, that, well, you know, yeah, this is like this a story about like a plausible, you know, mechanism or at least a plausible like formal like description of one way in which like aesthetic like insight like works for like other um, forms of like, art or literature, you'll need to tell like a different story drawing on like, you know, um, different like technical like reference points and vocabularies. I'm truly like a bit like undecided about this stuff because I feel like, you know, my stuff is very much just meant to be 
a kind of like possibility proof. Like, basically, I'm sure that my stuff is wrong, just in the sense of like, I'm sure that like autoencoders, or at least like, you know, directly training an autoencoder on like the reconstruction of another autoencoder so that you can't overfit and so forth. I'm sure that's not like the ultimate, like, best like story in even in machine learning language about like art. What I want to show is. It's just sort of like, look, you can sort of just like, you know, take many of our like most like expensive, extravagant, high romantic German idealist intuitions about what art means and does and like tell a halfway plausible story about how it can work in the case of at least one very, very important um, form of like literature. Um, in my case, yeah, the stuff that sometimes gets called like the modernist like epic. Oh, yeah, the main result, Robert Musil's The Main Result Quality is another like major example of the genre. Um, and they want to sort of like say, like, look, this is like this is work we can be like we can be trying to do. This, you know, my story looks halfway decent. And it's like, you know, a big part of the selling point, like, look, it's not like that forest, like, you know, it's not like a kind of like, you know, with five parameters, I can make the elephant like wiggle its tail. Um, kind of situation like so much stuff comes out of like the formalism of the autoencoder I can sort of like you know I can sort of like sketch proofs um, you know with sort of like like not too violent idealizing assumptions about like how yeah like a sample from like an autoencoder is like better than like a sample from like the original like data I can uh, demonstrate like empirically like on the chip um, without like doing like you know a ton of, of like hyperparameter like optimization. Um, so in a way, my real pitch is like, look, there's like an idea here. It's kind of wild, but it's a rock that once you start it like rolling downhill, it just keeps rolling on itself pretty well. When I worked with my uh, mathematician like advisor. Yeah, my, you know, my special academic story is like, even though I did my PhD at a comparatively free department, my dissertation advisor was a mathematician. Um, so when I worked with like yeah, the mathematician, like Thomas Schlank, um, after we did like a lot of work in this, we started like saying like, well, this is turning out like pretty good. So like, yeah, you know, I feel like this is like, in some sense, this is becoming like, genuinely mathematical because the moment that something becomes genuinely mathematical isn't when you write down like formalisms or when you do proofs or something it's the moment when you feel like um you're getting in sorry you're getting out it's the moment where you said the moment where something starts to become generally mathematical is the moment where you feel like you're getting out from the formalism more than you're like putting in um you know, it's like the moment you feel like the introduction of the like the technical like vocabulary is now telling you things that you wanted to be true, but you didn't strategize for how this formalism is going to make them true. Um, you know, it's of like you figured some things about like okay, I need to like design this formalism to meet like criteria like you know one to three. You know, my, my dream wish list also has like criteria like four, five, six. And then you start seeing like, oh, as I keep playing, as I keep just like, you know, working out the kind of like immediate implications of working with this formalism, it seems like, yeah, you know, four, five, and six are, are kind of sort of like starting to get them for like for free. So I feel like, you know, 
as much as like I want like be talking to an audience of like other people interested in machine learning or even like machine learning like professionals who have some interest in those like ways of thinking about like art. My sort of like call to arms uh, is just like to say, look, I've I've had the experience of like getting more out of like the formalisms than I've like put in. And uh, I know that it wasn't pure self-delusion because I've had like, you know, a truly world-class mathematician uh, um, sort of like watching over my back. So this is what, so I have like just like a sense of like, well, there's, there's something here. Um, you know, there's, there's something that starts clicking when you bring stuff like the language of like, um, for me, autoencoding, maybe somebody else will find like, you know, a much like better machine learning adjacent vocabulary to the idea of sort of like mood, vibe, geist, preconceptual world structures, the preconditions for conceptual thoughts and what they all have to do with art. I think that's a really good pitch, um, a good call to arms. I do hope that anybody listening to this kind of interested in some of these structures and intersections does give it some thought. And I think that that might actually be a, a good closing thought. I guess we've we've been talking for quite some time. I do really appreciate your taking so much time to speak with me. Your work is really fascinating. I will certainly be... Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I, I will certainly be thinking about it a lot myself. And I do hope that this inspires somebody else to start looking at this intersection as well. So again, thank you for exploring this line of work and, and thank you for your time. Thanks for having me. This was a blast. It was a great day. And that is a wrap, my friends. As I mentioned at the start of the episode, you can subscribe to The Gradient on Substack to receive not just this podcast, but also our articles and newsletters directly to your email. You can also visit us at thegradient.pub, where you'll find all of that, as well as more information about The Gradient and how you could even contribute if you're interested. And finally, if you enjoyed this episode, we would really appreciate your feedback. If you'd like to leave a comment or review, we'd love to know how we can make this series more interesting and informative to you. And with all that, I'll leave you until the next episode.